would you take God's word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. For those that are visiting, we're doing a series in the book of 1 Peter talking about what it's like to live with suffering, persecution, all those elements that come in unexpected ways to our lives. I think we know this, but we have to be reminded that we live with design. Take our universe. Right now, as we are sitting here, the earth is spinning 1,040 miles an hour. Imagine that. You don't even get dizzy. (laughs) Our earth, while it's spinning 1,040 miles an hour, it is going 18.5 miles a second around the sun. And you thought 57 mile an hour with Dr. Kime last week was fast. (laughs) Now, while our earth's spinning and earth's going around the sun, you take our system, okay, our universe. They now know that it spins around another universe and it's going approximately 155 miles per second. Amazing, nothing hits anything while it's moving that fast. There's laws of nature that keep us alive, like gravity, so we just don't float off into the universe somewhere. Human life and, and our design and our body, you take our circulatory system. If they would take every single nerve and piece of the system and stretch it out in a single line, it would be 60,000 miles long. If you want that in proximity, it's two times around the earth. And when everything operates according to design, things go well. But just imagine that gravity came along one day and said, you know, I don't like being the downer. I don't like keeping people down. I want to be the sun. The sun is warm. And gravity quit. What would happen to our design? Now, it makes common sense when it comes to our universe and, and we call our physical properties of the universe. But think about you are God's design. And think about the reality that when you obey that design, things go well. And when you don't obey that design, things do not go well. Satan's strategy is to quit our design. Satan's strategy is that we look at other designs and say, I want to be like that person and not like me. And so Satan's strategy is that we covet, we have pride, we elevate certain designs over others, we're jealous, we're full of envy. Satan's strategy is that we take our preferences. I mean, one role has many designs. So there are designs within designs. We know that with snowflakes. We know that with leaves. We know that with trees. We know that with people. While we are a design, look around and see the diversity of those designs. But see, Satan's strategy is we take our preference and say, you know, what's normal is what I see. And this has to be the way. And we spiritualize that normalization that we see rather than looking at this incredible, beautiful, diverse unity that God has created among humanity. So Peter comes along and he's been talking about suffering. He's been talking about persecution. And he identifies in chapter five a very specific role that has a very specific design. And what he addresses are those people who are gifted. And the common term we use today is leadership. 
And the challenge that he gives in this passage is leaders, because of everything going around, because of what's going to happen, you need to stand up and you need to lead. Now, the why is obvious. It takes us back to like Psalm 23, where the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Peter says, you got to lead. you got to lead people through this valley, the shadow of death that is prevalent. It's here. It's coming. It's future. But the question is, what does it look like? What does good leadership look like? Now, let me give you four perspectives on what a good leader looks like. And there's others, but... Think about this progression and think about your own mind and your own heart on how you view when you say, wow, you know what? There is a good leader, what you put in that category. The first is a good leader is someone who does what I want them to do. (laughs) Wow, you know, look at them. They're such a good leader because they listen to me and they follow everything I say. Now, there's some people say a good leader is, is someone who does what I would do. I mean, I know I have this habit of reading books and say, wow, that was a really good book. Why? Because I agree with most of what's in it. You know, there can be good books that disagree with me. But, you know, mostly we don't always go there. So sometimes people say, wow, you know, they're a good leader because if I was there, that's exactly what I would do. A fourth perspective is a good leader is someone who takes me where I would not go. Think about that. Good leader is someone who stretches you someone who moves you in a place that you didn't think about, someone who expanded your world. I remember one time a person in our last church, we were at a doubleheader softball game and we were playing, but there was a game between. And so him and his wife, we were walking around the track in Mannheim. And I looked at him and I said, you know, have you ever considered working with junior high kids? And he says, no. And I said, you should. And his wife said, I think he should too. He now is the youth pastor at that church, working full-time in that capacity. Left a corporate job where he's making a lot of money and entered the church world. But he went to a place that he never even thought. Now look at the last category. A good leader is someone who takes me where I could not go. In the context of the church, you know, Christ is the head. And when you realize how he leads, he moves us into positions that we not only never thought we would be in, but we realize we could never be there without an act of grace in our lives. Amen? So when you think about a good leader, picture what category you mostly identify with. When you say, wow, you know, there's a good leader. Now, this whole gift of leadership, realize everyone has it to a certain degree. It's just like prayer and evangelism. Everybody's called to pray. Everyone's called to evangelize. But God instills in some people a gift that they just take this to a whole new level. So some are called to prayer. Some are called to evangelize. And some are called to lead. Now, let's look at the passage. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, the first five verses this morning. Peter writes, so I exhort the elders, the word elder here 
I'm, I'm translating leader, and you'll see for a moment why. I exalt the I exhort the elders among you as fellow as a fellow elder. He doesn't say a fellow apostle, which he says in other places. He calls himself himself an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Exhort means to call out. Sometimes this word literally means to pray. And of course, when we pray, we do what? We call out to God. So when persecution comes, Peter's saying, listen, leadership is going to be even more critical. The word elder here is where we get the word presbyter from, or Presbyterian. And you'll see in a moment, well, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 5, verse, I mean, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders. They're listed in the category of certain religious leaders and chief priests and scribes to be killed and on the third day be raised. So we know that in Jewish culture, in particular, elders were a particular branch of leadership. Acts chapter 15, verse 22, it carried over into the church. When it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas called Barabbas and Silas, leading the men among the brothers. And again, when you think about elders, you got to think about diversity. There's different roles. And when I say there's different roles, this does not denote value. Elders are not any more important to the body than a foot or a hand or an eye or a heart. It's just a very specific role. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So you see there, especially those, evidently elders had multiplicity of roles within the church, one of those being preaching and teaching. Now, however we want to define them, we note, at least in biblical record, they're also in heaven. Revelation 4, verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. So understand this role of elder is a role of a leader. And Paul is addressing them. He's calling them out, saying, listen, guys, tough times are ahead. It's going to get dark. You're going to be going through the valley of the shadow of death, and your leadership is critical. So let's go back to 1 Peter. When he talks about being a fellow heir, it's where we get the word communion from. And it's more than just a nice time around a table having fellowship. But there's this identification, and identification is, is the sufferings of Christ in this passage. He calls himself a witness. The word witness is where we get the English word martyr from. And he also says there's going to be this participation in his glory. So he says the ultimate mission of the church is what? To bring glory to God. That's why I keep saying we worship to an audience of one. And what he's doing here is he's pointing the sheep, which he is a sheep as well. There's only one chief shepherd, even though we have a role of a shepherd. He's pointing, saying, listen, while we bring glory to Christ here, 
there's that future glory we're all going to be part of. Now look at verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Again, the word shepherd, we know he's the chief shepherd. It's an image. Now let me confess here. There's a song that I was raised with that really bugs me. Do you know the song, Gentle Shepherd, Come and Lead Us? And it's a nice, quiet, what I call, tone. Think about Jesus. He walks in the temple one day, and what's he do? Now he's leading. He starts throwing tables. He starts tossing offering plates. I mean, he trashes the place. Now you and I sitting back in that role saying, whoa, Jesus is an angry leader. Well, yeah, he was angry. He was angry that what they were doing was these poor people would come into the synagogue and they would declare the the sacrificial gifts they were bringing, the, the doves and everything else. They're saying, you know what? Those aren't worthy. And so they take them from them and they take them behind the curtain over here and they bring them out saying, well, listen, we got some worthy ones that we'll sell you. And they take theirs, turn around, somehow made it holy behind the curtain and then sold them for a profit to these people. Another occasion, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and and, uh, they're having this conversation and you can see the Pharisees saying, What'd you just say, Jesus? He says, called you a whited grave. You called us what? How about snake, viper? How about when you go make people just like you because you operate out of preferential leadership, when you make them think like you, act like you, talk like you, you make them twice the son of hells that you are. So gentle shepherd just doesn't do it for me. Exercising oversight. You know, we use the word exercise. It's discipline. It's hard work. The idea here is not to be lazy. Oversight is the long look. We ought to understand the the, the implications, both short and long term. And that's why he talks about the end game in verse 4. We'll be there in a moment. When the chief shepherd appears, that's the end game. But the present reality, Peter says, you know, we witness the sufferings of Christ, and so will we. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be painful. Willingly goes back to, are you willing to operate on God's calling versus everybody else's opinion? And do so. The word eagerly means to do something with a ready mind. It means that we should think well. We should think about all the implications. And that's what good leaders do. They not only say, listen, this is what we ought to do here. But if we do this here, guess what? In 5 and 10 and 15, 20 years, this is where we're going to end up. If we make this choice. Now, let me give an illustration. I see a shift happening in our churches today. And I think it's a good shift. But for whatever reason, a long time ago, church was defined by an hour or two on Sunday morning. 
That's it. When you talk about church, it was an address, it was a building, and it's what happened in those two hours. And often what happened in those two hours, we adopted what's called a consumer model or an entertainment model. We would go to a church that we thought was under good leadership and we got the most bang for our buck. Now, what that meant was everything was suited to our preferences. We liked what was happening on stage for those two hours. And we patterned church after a consumer model of our culture, not after a Jesus model. So what's been happening in the church over the last several decades, because there's been no suffering, there's been no persecution. I mean, we've had an easy ride so far. We've had this entitlement, divisive, low information model. If you don't believe me, talk to Dr. Kime sometime about the students he sees coming into LBC, the difference from 40 years ago. Were you teaching there 40 years? Okay. I didn't want to make him older than he was. I was there 37 years ago, so. Um, actually, I was there 40 years ago. Jeez. Because he started when I started. And um, there's a difference. There's just a difference in how entitled and low information people are. Now, we're seeing the consequences. We're seeing the consequences on poor thinking. I think about this past week, and if you haven't followed the arguments, you know, for a long time, they've been issuing about gender equality, and they should, they should understand the Christian faith because in the Christian faith, everyone is equal value. They have different roles. We say there's men roles and there's women roles, but that has nothing to do with value. But in our culture, we take that and we start saying, you know what? Women should serve in the military. And so they got their foot in the door there. Have you heard the latest conversation? They're now saying, you know what? If women can serve in the military, we should make them mandatorily sign up for the draft. See, that, you could smell that coming down the road, but everybody in the culture is now in shock saying, oh, we can't believe they're doing that. If you haven't been studying what's been happening in the whole marriage culture, of course, we redefine marriage. And what I find amazing is that in our country, a same-sex couple could have a civil union and have all the legal requirements for a marriage, but no, we had to redefine marriage. Now among the millennials, the common trend, or at least the new trend is, one man, two women. And because it's not legal to marry two women, you have one in marriage, you just have the other one living with you. Again, you could see this happening and people are saying, Why? Where, where'd this come from now? You know, Peter Sange says, in the absence of a great dream, pettiness prevails. And I have to confess that in the church, I don't think we as leaders have led very well. And too many times we've been given into people's desires rather than God's. Take Jesus' vision of the church. He says, I will build the church. (laughs) Not I, but he will build the church. And I love this phrase. He says, when the church is being the church, not even the gate of hell will be able to withstand it. I mean, it's on the offensive. It's knocking doors down. It's going out. It's becoming hope in a world that is hopelessly in darkness.
This should not surprise us. Paul warned about it. He warned Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 7, he says, but understand this. He says, in the last days, and the last days had to do with when Christ came first time and when he comes a second, so we are in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Key in in that last phrase. And think about our American culture, because we've had it so well for so long. Think about how that last phrase defines us. Scares me when he talks about verse 5 then, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. A powerless church that only meets for two hours on a Sunday and does nothing in terms of its culture. Verse 7 says, always learning but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And that means you can have Bible study after Bible study after Bible study and sermon after sermon after sermon, but it never moves from here down to here. So it should not surprise us. If we do not lead well in the church, then this is where we end up. So let me kind of review what I've talked about so far. Good leaders are called. Okay, that's the first principle. Good leaders are called. Someone said your career is what you're paid to do. Your calling is what you are made to do. Made in terms of not forced, but designed. Good leaders are designed by God. Two, good leaders give oversight. They are disciplined. They think not only past and present, they also think future. And good leaders think, well, that's so far what Peter's been talking about. But let's look at a fourth principle. He says, good leaders are not dictators. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. The word domineering means to lord over, to dominate, to force submission. The word here to domineer is a negative word. It's a negative sense of leading. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles? They lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There's the example of Christ. Now, again, this does not mean that we simply do whatever anybody wants. We, we still lead. We still, as leaders, have to make the tough calls. But as a leader, the compass is the true north, Jesus Christ, and not our culture. Another principle, good leaders live with integrity. In verse 3, but being examples to the flock. The word example means type. We get the word typology from. It means to stamp, to fashion, to resemble, to model. And we model Christ. 
And so often when you read scripture, it almost sounds like Paul is being arrogant, but listen to how he says it in certain passages. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And then in verse 4 of 1 Peter 5, he writes these words. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Christ, that's the future look, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So you're going to go through, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death here. And understand, you still bring glory to God. You still bring hope to this world. But there's a future date when he will come again. And you're going to get this unfading crown of glory. We don't have time to kind of get into what that is. But it's a good thing, okay? Just know that. Chalk it down. It's a good thing. And then in verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I find it interesting, this context of leadership going through suffering and persecution, he has to bring up submission and humility. And you got to ask yourself why. See, this whole deal of subject pushes out the pride. Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. See, that's a good leader. A good leader realizes it's just not about all the physical. It's about the future glory in Christ. As those who will have to give an account, there's greater responsibility for this among leadership. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Now that's on your part. You can make our job hard or you can make it easy. And that would be of no advantage to you. Now the question is, are you willing to operate according to God's design? He says, all of you, one thing you have to do is put on humility. Leaders got to put it on. Younger people got to put it on. Everybody has to put it on. And that's really another principle we can live with here is that good leaders live with humility. Now, I'm going to be getting into this in March. In fact, we're going to do a three-week series just before Easter on pride and humility. So I'm not going to really talk much more about this except to say that the sin of pride is the mother of all sins. And I am more proud than I'm willing to admit in a negative sense. We're not talking about being, you know, proud of our kids and proud of our church and proud of those kinds of things. But we're talking about the sinful pride that causes us to covet, causes us to disassociate from each other, kind of pride that leads us down places that we should not go, the kind of pride that doesn't help us to lead well. Understand this, that Christ's humility brought him where? It brought him to the cross. And Peter's telling the leaders, listen, I'm a witness of the sufferings. They're suffering now, but it's going to get worse. It's going to get dark. And you need to lead well. You need to lead with Christ in the vision. And you need to set a vision and you need to set a hope on the cross and nothing but the cross and nothing but Christ because nothing else will pull this group through. So the question is, are we willing to respond to Christ's leadership? Are we willing to lead well for what we are about to face? Or do we whine and kick and scream like little entitled babies saying, why is God doing this? Because we've been such good people. He should give us what we want. You know, Dr. Kime intimated last week that 
You know, we're going to be facing a day that we have not seen. And I believe that to be true. Part of it excites me because I say the reality of Christ. I mean, light shines brightest when it's most dark. So I think we're going to have an incredible opportunity to shift and to create a vision and live according to that fourth perspective of leadership that we're going to live in a way that we could not live because of who God is and what he's going to do through us. There's part of me that's scared too because, let's face it, we we don't like pain, do we? (laughs) I always like these shirts. I'm a basketball official and, you know, they come out in their warm-up shirts and there's the common one is, you know, no pain, no gain. I'm like, yeah, sounds great. Still don't like it. Good leaders live with humility. Good leaders live with integrity. Good leaders are not dictators. They think well, they give oversight, and good leaders are called. And I'm going to take some leadership right now. And we're going to close this service out, and we're going to do something that we normally don't do. Um, And let me explain just for those visiting. Um, There's a lot of people in our church at present whose hearts are heavy. We have some pretty extreme situations with cancer at relatively young age. And unless God intervenes, we know that there is no hope, at least in this world in terms of physical lives. So we're going to end this service because Scripture does say that we gather the elders together and we pray for those that are sick. Many of you know that the Jershaw family has been faced with, you know, not only in their history but present right now, um, some really difficult circumstances. You know, Lynette at this point, in terms of her physical body, is dying. And so we're going to take some time to pray for, for Dan, for the family, her kids, for her. Many of you know Tim White. Married to Karen, who was a Jershaw, but now she's a white. And, you know, he's struggling after his, once again, another operation. He had cancer, and his journey's been so long. I want to pray, too, for Delamay, who's going to be faced with surgery in a few weeks. She's been diagnosed with cancer. There's a lot of unknown things yet, and we want to pray for her. Now, setting that aside, um, we got a team going to Kenya. And I think we need to pray for them as well. If I'm right, they leave this week. Who's going? You leave this week? Okay, so we want to pray for them. And that God will just use them and bless them and keep them safe as well. So here's how we're going to do this. Um, I know some of you have plans and whatnot. And so I'm going to pray, dismiss the service. And in about five minutes, for anybody that wants to stay, I'm going to ask you to come down front here. And we're just going to take a time to pray. And you say, well, how long is it going to take? I don't know. And you can come and pray and you can leave when you want. But we're just going to spend some time as a body of Christ. And we're going to lift these people in these situations. And maybe others that you want to bring up before the Lord. And as a body, we are going to do what Scripture tells us to do. We're going to pray together. So is that kind of clear? I'll pray. We'll dismiss in about five minutes for those in the balcony and whatnot want to come down here. We're just going to gather down the front and we're going to spend time in prayer this way. So let me pray for you and then we'll gather down here. Father God, we commit ourselves to you. We, you know, we want to be good followers of you and we just get it so wrong so often.
Forgive us for that. Forgive us where our pride and our sense of entitlement and our comforts get in, involved, and we just we go down roads we know we shouldn't, and yet often we say we can't help ourselves, but we know we can. Help us to be courageous leaders. Help us, no matter what we face, to remain true on Christ and Christ alone. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that our light just burns bright and hot in the midst of whatever is going around us. And I pray that you do in us that we cannot do for ourselves. Through your spirit, through your word, that you create such a movement that the only explanation can be God has to be in this. Because we cannot achieve on a human level what you've called us to achieve. So take us, Lord, where we could not go. And until we see you face to face, which we long for, um, don't know what that looks like. Sometimes it's a little scary, but we just can't wait for that day. We think of these people we're going to pray for in a moment. Just bless our time together. We lift them up to you. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, you're officially dismissed. And for those who want to come down front, uh, we're going to begin in about five minutes.